Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. God commissions his people to be global disciple makers. It's our great privilege to bring the good news that Christ saves sinners to the nations. We go, we send, we baptize, and we teach others to obey God's word. We primarily do this through church planting, but some places are harder to plant in than others. Church in Hard Places is a resource sharing collaborative that trains and supports indigenous church leaders in poor communities. Many poor communities lack gospel preaching churches and many churches in poor communities lack access to affordable and relatable teaching. The Church in Hard Places Collaborative is a global initiative of Acts 29 which seeks to see churches planted in the world's poorest communities. One way this collaborative trains indigenous church leaders is through church planting apprenticeships. Participants receive two years of theologically robust and culturally relevant instruction to equip them to serve in their context and are brought into a larger network of like-minded churches. Joining us on the podcast today is Matthew Spandler Davidson. Matthew serves as the operations manager for Church in Hard Places. He's also the executive director of 20 Schemes and is the pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in Bardstown, Kentucky. MSD, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thank you. Great to be with you. It is so good to be with this brother, one of the sharpest guys I know. We just spent a couple of days actually in Dallas, and so and we're going to be in Paris next week. So it's like I'm getting a lot of MSD in my life. I'm excited about that. That's not a drug, by the way. That's the initials <laughs> of, of Matthew Spandler Davidson, who is Scottish, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, so I was born in Norway, so born in, in Stavanger, Norway. My dad's from... Dublin Island, mum is from England, but grew up in Scotland. So I'm I'm pretty much the United Nations. Um, okay. And so now so, live in, in Bardstown, Kentucky, married to a girl from Gulf Shores, Alabama. Wow. So you're from the UK, would that be appropriate to say? Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. But now you cheer for UK, like the <laughs> Uver- University <laughs> of Kentucky. So, so funny story, when I first moved here um, back in 2004, 2003 I saw these UK flags up and I honestly thought man these people love us like <laughs> it was during it was during like the uh, Gulf War the Iraq War and Britain was like the only people standing with America and I was like man they really love us over here and then finally I figured out what the UK flag meant yeah mo- <laughs> yeah well I say that with great affection because I am a University of Kentucky fan I cannot get it out of my blood um but anyway, you told me you have not contextualized at all. You don't give a rip about Kentucky basketball or any other sport, right? <laughs> um, that's probably true. Yeah, I've tried to. I've tried to try to figure it out, but yeah, no. Nah, I mean, I I love Kentucky. I appreciate Kentucky. I appreciate yeah. appreciate the town I'm in and the the community I'm in and uh, the the heritage and the bourbon. But, uh-huh. Uh, no, I think yeah. really what's happened is you got fed up with the the scotch, and you you've headed for the hills, man. You wanted uh, you wanted bourbon. No, no, not not so much. I uh, <laughs> got fed up with the uh, with the weather. <laughs> it's a better climate here than what I'm used to growing up in cold, wet, damp, rainy Scotland. But, uh-huh. but yeah, how yeah, did how did live there? How did a guy like you end up in Bardstown, Kentucky, and how did you meet a girl in Gulf Shores, Alabama? 
Yep, yep. Um, so I, yeah, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My uh, parents were, were not believers. No, uh, I went to a high school of a thousand students just near Aberdeen, Scotland. Uh, didn't know any Christians in, in my school, but my mum uh, became good friends with a Christian lady and she started going to a small little Baptist church, church of about 15 people um, there on the, the, the coast of uh, Scotland. I would go along with her, and probably when I was about 16 was when I heard the gospel pretty clearly during communion at this little Baptist church. They practice closed communion, and since I was the only non-Christian in the room, they were closing the table um, to me. And But that act is what really woke me up uh, to the gospel, that I'm, I'm an outsider, I'm looking in, I need to take this seriously. I met with the pastor um, and, and came to faith. Uh, when I was about 17. Uh, then uh, that church had, it was a, the guy who was pastor of that church was a PhD student at Aberdeen Uni, but he was from Mobile, Alabama. So he um, was, well, Jason Lee, I think you know him. Um, mm-hmm. So he was pastoring at that church. Uh, so there's a mission team that came over from Mobile and my soon-to-be wife at the time, my um, Tracy was on that team. Uh, in Scotland, if you're a young Christian guy, you, all the uh, single Christian ladies are in their 70s and 80s. Um, and so uh, when the mission teams of Americans come in, then you know that there's opportunity there to potentially find a, find a girl, find a wife. And so we, we stayed in touch for about three years and uh, got married. And so I had a full-on Scottish wedding, kilts, bagpipes and everything in Mobile, Alabama. That was, that was quite, the, uh, quite the event. Did you like the food in Mobile? You like all the seafood and stuff? Uh, yeah, I love the seafood. Uh, I couldn't get all the uh, the grits and the biscuits and gravy and yeah. casseroles and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've 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 grown to appreciate that more over time. But when I first when I first went there, I was like, what is this? Why are you basically blending all your food together and putting cheese on top um, mm-hmm. and calling it a casserole? I don't understand what this is. And so. <laughs> I've definitely got greater appreciation for it now, but yeah. Oh man! So you went to Southern Seminary, right? And you said you moved yep. to Bardstown that because uh, you found cheaper housing and you discovered there was no church there. Did I get that right? Yeah. So I moved to initially went to the states to do an internship at Capitol Hill Baptist Church uh, with Mark Davis. So Mark was the one that got me to to the states. And at the end of that internship, I really didn't know uh, what seminary to go to. I was before I went into the internship, I was active in politics. I worked for the Scottish Parliament, got a degree in politics from Aberdeen Uni. Um, and so I really wasn't thinking ministry until uh, that internship with Mark. And uh, encouraged me to go to Southern Seminary. had no idea what Southern Seminary was, um, uh, but he was a trustee at Southern. So did what I was told, went to Southern and just loved it, had a great time there. But while I was at Southern, was looking to buy a house. I sold my house in Scotland, was looking to purchase a house. Um, and there was a realtor from Bardstown, Kentucky, that, in my church history class. So I came to Bardstown, fell in love with this little town, uh, moved here. Uh, but there was no gospel church, very Catholic town, predominantly about 80% Roman Catholic. And so uh, there was a, a liberal Baptist church or a kind of very hyper-seeker-sensitive church, but no healthy gospel church. And so... Uh, quite accidentally, unintentionally planted a church in our basement and did that about 15 years ago. And that's the church I still pastor to this day. Mm-hmm. 
How did you uh, get involved with Church in Hard Places, and, and what, what do you do? What's your role there? So I am the operations manager of Church in Hard Places, which essentially means I uh, run run the activities of Church in Hard Places. So the events, the training, the the resources that we produce, run the staff um, of Church in Hard Places. Now, Church in Hard Places is an initiative of Acts 29. So if you like, we're a, a department within A29 that's specifically focused on uh, what does it look like to assess, train, resource, support uh, church planters from poor communities around the world. Um, and so we recognize as A29 that we're a global network, but we're not a particularly diverse network. So um, so most of the churches that we're seeing planted tend to be um, middle class, suburban, highly educated. Uh, so as it comes to diversity, uh, uh, we had a lot of work to do. So the initiatives really help to think through uh, the diversity question. So Mez McConnell, it's been a friend of mine. So Mez and I started a ministry called 20 Schemes about seven years ago which is a church planting ministry amongst the poor in Scotland. Uh, so he and I co-founded that, uh, co-directors of that ministry in Scotland. And really, Church in Our Places, the work that we do globally is uh, taking a lot of the resources, the work that we've learned and we've developed in Scotland through 20 schemes. Um, Doug Logan, uh, co-director with Mez, has, has done similar work here in the U.S., um, and so what Mez and I do tends to be the global side of it. And then Doug, uh, the, through Grimke and Cultivate and other resources in the U.S. And so I just kind of help, help manage those two wonderful, glorious men and yeah, that, all that's that really, they produce. Yeah, that's quite a job, man. I mean, you three together, are, it's like a. Uh, I told my wife after coming back from Dallas, we're like a bunch of cartoon characters. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a good way of putting it. It's a... Uh, <laughs> A comedy show, car crash, one of those two things <laughs> going going on at the same time. <laughs> um, so, how, how do you do all this MSD? Because I just told uh, uh, Brittany here in the in the studio that if there's one guy that travels more than me, I know there are millions of people that travel more than me, but um, I'm speaking from my own confession of uh, weariness from travel. I know yeah, it is yeah. MSD. Um, yeah. You you are everywhere in the world. I mean, it's. It is remarkable. How do you how do you pastor, um, do family, do life, and still have your hair looking that good uh, in the middle of all of this? <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not going to catch up with you on that on that part of it. But um, yeah, so um, we uh, uh, it's a it's a challenge, but something it's one thing with ministry, and you know this that you can't do this kind of ministry well, kind of pioneer ministry well, without being on the ground being with people, developing relationships, growing trust. And so that's just the reality of ministry is, is, is FaceTime. So you can do so much on Zoom, you can so much on email, uh, but unless you're in the room, unless you're developing relationships and friendships, you can't do that. And so um, we have an unusual ability in our day and age uh, to be able to cross the world that uh, 34 years ago would have been impossible. Um, but we have a, a pretty extraordinary ability that last week I was in Australia, next week I'll be in Paris. You know, that's that's you know, thirty years ago that would have been impossible. Um, and so let's so that's the, we have the opportunity now. It is it's exhausting, it's wearing, um, it's not something that I would encourage people to do. Um, it's and, you know, it's not something you should aspire to. Uh, this kind of I don't even know how long I can do it, but it's uh, but for right now it's it's I've got the ability to do it. Um, for me, each week looks different. I pastor a church. That's my my day job. Um, I love my church. I love to preach, uh, teach, shepherd, lead my elders. Um, and so each week I'm typically preaching in my own congregation. 
uh, meeting with my elders, shepherding my people. Uh, but I, I'll lead good teams. And I think that's the way, uh, the only way this can work is I've got a great team through 20 Schemes, a great team uh, at my church, all by vocational at the church and a fantastic team at Church Now Places. And mm. as long as you've got good teams that are kind of keeping the things running, um, kind of moving on the conversation, um, then then it, then you can manage it well. So it's really about managing teams, managing relationships, um, mm-hmm. and then keeping a good rhythm. So I, I don't each week is different. So I don't think of you know Monday I do this. Um, I view my uh, months or year through rhythms. So I'm in a rest rhythm, or I'm in a travel rhythm, or I'm in a, uh, a kind of heavy, busy kind of preaching load rhythm. And so I kind of look at the rhythms of my life um, and make sure that I'm keeping good boundaries around that. Can you teach us how to say 20 schemes? Uh, 20, 20. 20. Uh-huh. 20 schemes. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, now, these church planning apprentices, uh, t- talk to us about that, these apprenticeships. Um, how many are there? Uh, how many guys are in each? What's that process like? So uh, church not plays the main thing that we really offer, particularly those in developing countries, poor communities, is the church not places apprenticeship. And... Uh, the apprenticeship is really hands-on learning. So if you if you grew up in a community where you've not had access to formal training, maybe you've not, um, maybe even struggle with, with with literacy, then you learn better through doing, and you learn better through just kind of peer-to-peer mentoring and relationships. So that's essentially what an apprenticeship is. So you know if if you look at, um, I mean that's true in in, in the U.S. So you have the trade sector. Most people in the trade sector would learn through. Uh, apprenticeship model through doing and then you got the uh, so through the vocational sector then you got the uh, uh, kind of the intellectual sector where we learn by reading and writing and going to classes and getting a degree uh, and it, it doesn't assume that those in the vocational sector are not capable of learning they just learn differently um, and so we uh, view the apprenticeship model as a way of, of learning and a way of training that is much more hands-on and relational so um, we have a hundred about 130 guys in the Church in Our Places apprenticeship. Uh, we form them into regional cohorts. Typically, 10 to 12 uh, men will be in a cohort. Those cohorts will meet monthly. Um, uh, we'll assign a, a reading assignment, a writing assignment, and then a discussion group. Um, but it's around, around a practical um, issue or a theological issue. Um, and then each year we bring all of our, we bring our cohort, regional cohort together for an intensive where we do uh, preaching, practical theology questions, uh, ecclesiology. We do that in, a, in an intensive training mm. setting. And so if you're in uh, Kampala, in uh, Uganda, if you're in Nairobi, then you'll be in our East Africa cohort. That's by far our biggest right now. We've got two cohorts there in East Africa. Um, and they'll meet monthly with each other. They'll read They'll discuss the reading, um, and then we'll have our intensive. So I'll be there in a couple of weeks for our intensive in that region. Mm-hmm. It's been great to partner with um, Church in Hard Places as a guy on the Emerging Regions team, um, mm-hmm. going over there, doing work, and uh, handing these guys to MSD to work through the apprenticeships and uh, the assessments. And it's just exciting to hear what's going on uh, in yeah, that part so- of the world. It's even the way we assess. So you think about uh, X-Way 9. X-Way 9 is, has a great way of assessing church planters. That's really our bread and butter. We, we assess church planters, and then we once uh, our guys are assessed, we seek to provide ongoing coaching and training. But the assessment up to this point has really excluded those who have had no formal training. And so we've asked the question, what, what do we do with these? 
Um, so I think historically we just haven't been able to answer that question well. So that's why um, X-29 is predominantly made up of, of educated intellectual guys who are pastoring churches in that same context. And so what does assessment look like? We don't want to dumb down theology. We don't want to dumb down the um, distinctives. We don't want to dumb down the, the character convictions that we have. We just want to assess differently. And so we assess through the apprenticeship. I love it, man. And then last year at the uh, Global Gathering, there was this large event of yeah. uh, the Church in Hard Places guys, and it brought such a, a, an exciting dynamic to Acts 29. And you yeah. you just sit there with a big smile, right? You just love seeing these yeah. guys there. Yeah, just seeing them there because it's it's such a culture shock for them even to be in that room um, and just to, to navigate that and just, just hearing them. So I just get to hang out with these guys all the time and just um, hearing their experience or something that to us feels so normal, even like being in a, a Marriott hotel in Orlando, Florida. I mean, that to us felt so normal. So, but to, to our guys, it was such a culture shock. Um, yeah. And just to walk with them through that and for them to be both excited, but also at moments to be appalled by some of the things that they saw and, um, and to walk them through that, to feel well loved, but also to feel confused. Um, mm. And yeah, it's just great to have them, um, come and be a part of that and have our guys uh, um, be part of their networks and in, in the region they're in. And, um, and that's really the biggest challenge I think X29 is going to have. We can assess these guys and they can end up joining, but what are they joining? Yeah. Um, and are we ready um, to really to ask those questions? Yeah. Um, if we want to be a truly diverse family of churches, then yeah. that, that's the real culture shock that will yeah. take place. I've, you know, I said this a few years ago, it's, it's easy to be global. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't take a lot of work to become yeah. a global family. Um, it takes a lot of work to become truly diverse. And I think mm-hmm. those are the questions that we're seeking to, to really think about and answer. Um, That's a good word got, right there. If you've got these 120 guys, they, they're coming, you know, they, they're coming in. So um, what are they coming into? And I think um, that's going to, there's going to be some pressure points in every layer of X-29 that we've got to uh, be thinking about. Mm-hmm. And diversity that you're talking about is not just uh, racial diversity, right? Nope. We're talking about the class issue, right? Yep. So you can have racial diversity, but still all, but still not truly be diverse. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're thinking about social economic diversity, and so uh, that that's both racial, that's ethnic, uh, that's linguistic, but it's certainly also uh, social economic. Uh, and I think that's the hardest that the, the the hardest culture divide in many ways is a social economic culture divide. Absolutely. Um, and so it's being able to bridge that divide and so allow our guys to feel at home and at ease. So you think about church planting conferences or church planting resources or even seminaries, they yeah. are writing to and equipping themselves for a certain demographic yeah. um, and historically been able to get away with that. Um, and so when I go into, so last year I was in, in Nairobi and I'm walking through the slums in Nairobi and th- these communities, they don't lack churches. There are plenty of churches in these communities, they're very spiritual places, um, but what they lack is the gospel, because the only people um, really paying any attention to these communities are the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth, and really we've abandoned the poor to the theological wolves who are preying on, on, in poor communities all around the world. And so when we hear a guy from a slum preach, we make immediate assumptions about him because he's preaching a false gospel, and we write them off. And what I want to say is, look, they're preaching what they know because we're not telling them anything different. Um, and so so let's go in there, be prepared to get messy, get dirty, and get, get alongside these guys um, who are teachable, who are humble, and mm-hmm. let's, let's 
let's teach them the gospel and how to preach and how to shepherd their people well. Mm. Um, and so that's what the apprenticeship is doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I love that line, man. Uh, and what a what a statement. We've abandoned the poor to theological wolves. Um, yeah, you see it all over the world. You see it in this, you see it in this country. Mm. I mean, wherever you go, you see it. Yeah, yeah. When I've been in uh, Nairobi training on emerging regions, it's just amazing the teachability. And like you say, a lot yeah. of these guys have shoddy theology, but it's only because that's what's present. That's um, all they know. That's all, that's they, all know. they know. And, yeah. and they have the, and it's got the appearance of success or blessing mm-hmm. because it grows. Um, and so whereas you know, what we're trying to do, it takes work and it takes study and it takes time. Uh, but these, I mean, the guys that we're working with, they love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no doubt they love Jesus. They they love the Bible, but they've just no one's ever really invested in them and given them solid theology. And mm-hmm. you know, even like the apprenticeship model, it's a lot of a lot of ministries will go in and do an event, we'll do a conference, or we'll give a book, um, and we think that's enough. But that's not enough. Um, what's going to keep these guys from then going to the next conference that comes into town the next week that is mm-hmm. teaching something complete opposite? Mm-hmm. Um, What's really going to keep them grounded is the relationship that develops in these cohorts. That's where accountability comes in, is mm-hmm. is the relational accountability that's developed through these cohorts as they grow together, as they kind of hold each other accountable, um, and as they remain um, in relationship together as part of a network um, mm-hmm. of family of churches in that region. Mm-hmm. You touch on this some, but what are some of the misconceptions that people have of these uh, aspiring church leaders in hard places? Um, what would you want us to know? Uh, um, I think an immediate misconception about people in poor communities, just because they don't have an education, you make the assumption that they're stupid, that they have the inability to learn. This is not true. Um, they, I think the opposite is true. Often they're, they're incredibly gifted. Um, so we do make, I think we make a lot of assumptions about people based on our idea of credentialing or, or intellectuality or, or education and so our guys they they love to learn they're uh, eager to to learn uh, we make an assumption that all they want is our money that's not true either they don't want money that they need this they got real needs and they don't want to belittle but belittle that but what i think what they value more than anything is 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 people pouring into them relationally as mm-hmm. mentorship as coaching as friendship um I think we make a lot of assumptions as well that um, that comes from a resource or a cultural paternalistic attitude that we have all the answers and they've got nothing to teach us. Uh, but the the reverse is true as well. Uh, I want to be able, I wanted to not just see these guys uh, flourish in their context. I want to see these guys uh, be in a in a position in a place where we can learn from them as well. Mm. Uh, when they've got a great deal to teach us about ministry about pastoring about preaching and teaching hmm. uh, so it's yeah i think we uh, we make a, a, a assumptions about uh, learning style about um, how to do church particularly in poor communities so uh, poor communities the uh, issues tend to be the same whether you're in um, a, a reservation in north america or you're in a slum in uh, east africa or the schemes of scotland uh, you've got high level of mental health issues high level of addiction issues um, low level of literacy, often low level of education attainment. Often people are dealing with issues around abuse, abuse of uh, whether it's domestic abuse, sexual abuse, um, kind of a, a low view of just life in general. So it just, uh, almost like a uh, disposable view of life often is true in poor communities tend to be quite um, matriarchal. Um, 
often a lot of strong, dominant women. Uh, men tend to be absent. So these are true. These these are true whether I'm in Appalachia or whether I'm in, in Rio de Janeiro. These tend to be true common factors in poor communities around the world. So what does discipleship look like in that context? So it's, it's easy to make the assumption that somebody from a suburban middle-class Western church can teach somebody how to do discipleship well in that context. This is not true because uh, discipleship does look different. Um, uh, preaching does look different. Um, uh, evangelism does look different. But church, church will look the same. You know, we still preach, we sing, we, um, we worship the same way. Uh, mm-hmm. But the way we do church looks different. So if, you, if your discipleship model is based on the small group, let's kind of get together on a Wednesday night, it's just not going to work in our communities because people live in a state of, of constant flux and chaos and crises. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of assumptions that we make about what we can bring to them um, uh, rather than what we can learn from them. Mm, that's good, man. I'm just curious about what you would say to the preaching question, since you mentioned it in yeah. in passing yeah. there. What 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 would we, uh, excuse me? What would be the differences in in our preaching there? Uh, I mean, often it's it's much more about language that we use, not not so much about style. I mean, style I think is is going to be different. Depends on where you're at. Not depends mm-hmm. on. As, I don't think it's necessarily a class thing, mm-hmm. uh, but it's. I think uh, expository preaching works wherever you are. Uh, so expository preaching works in a poor context as it does in in a suburban context. But I do think it's 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 the way you communicate, it's the assumptions you make, it's the words you use. You just got to make sure that you're speaking in a way that people are going to understand and hear what you're saying. Um, that the even the illustrations you use, the applications you use, most most preaching books, most commentaries are using illustrations and applications that are so middle class um, mm. and that are so rooted in a middle-class worldview that just doesn't land in our context. And so it's, it's, it's less about uh, content in terms of the theology of the message. It's much more about illust- how you illustrate and apply that message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, contextualization. Yep. Not, not everybody's reading C.S. Lewis and Chronicles of Narnia and yeah, uh, Lord yeah, of the Rings, quote, right? Yep, who you quote, how you quote, and the movies you watch, it's going to look different. Um, yeah. And then also, um, often... Yeah, be, no, there tends to be more feedback that comes. Uh, so sometimes when you're preaching in, in um, a poor context, there does tend to be a little bit more feedback, so more of a two-way street uh, uh-huh. sometimes. I love that. I love that uh-huh. when I'm in uh, in a church in uh, one of our communities that there's there's, there's constant feedback going mm-hmm. on in the during the service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk to us about um, how can we support Church in Hard Places, listeners out there intrigued by the work going on around the world. Uh, what would you tell them? How, the, how the, can they get behind you guys? Yes, so uh, uh, many ways. So find out more about uh, who we are and, and pray about a cult. We'd love ultimately to have uh, churches and uh, perhaps individual churches and networks to adopt a cohort. Um, when I say adopt a cohort, I don't necessarily mean kind of financially uh, give to them, but I mean, uh, get to know them, pray for them, get to know their story. Uh, so connect with church in our places. I had a conversation with, with the church yesterday about, about doing just this. Uh, find out what we're doing. If you're, if you're doing work in a particular region of the world you, and you've got a particular heart for the Latin America or Southern Africa or um, Asia, we've probably got a cohort there. Reach out to us and I'd love to connect you with a guy who's gospel-centered, who's seeking to build a gospel-centered, healthy church in that region um, and get to know that our cohort guys pray for them support them um, and partner with them excellent msd a fount of wisdom 
Always a pleasure, my brother. Loved it. Always enjoy it. Yeah. See you soon, mate.